This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 206. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of The Daily Diaries. This is a series that I'm doing in the month of February, just slightly different from my normal Wednesday episodes. Each week, I'm bringing you life lessons, and at the end of each week, every Friday, I'm putting it all together for you, and I'm giving you a handy-dandy worksheet so that you can apply these lessons to your own life, because like I always say, it's not about just consuming the information, the podcast episode, the book, the workshop. It's about actually doing the work in your own life. So if you're just joining us, these actually started last week. You can start with episode 200. Speaking of, I'm feeling like I should do a things I've learned in 200 episodes. I'm definitely going to do that. Also, you know what's coming up, everybody? June is going to be my 10-year anniversary of blogging, of blogging publicly. I mean, I don't mean to sound cliche, but damn, time flies. It really does. This particular episode, yesterday I was talking about uh, making peace with unfinished business and telling you the story of having grown up in my hometown and, and moving away and going back to visit and kind of feeling like I see my old ghost there and what do we what do we do with that? How do we make peace with unfinished business, these old parts of ourselves that we have maybe outgrown? And today I'm going to tell you a story about something that, an experience that I had. And this is part of, you know, the bigger story of my life when I, when my whole life fell apart. And so instead of just telling you about it, I think I'll actually tell you the story. So the title of this particular episode is The Week I Went to That Famous Rehab Place and Found Out I'd Been Cheated On Again. So if you read my book, you uh, the latest one, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, you know that in the opening paragraphs, I talk briefly about how I had an all-time low in 2007 when I found out I had been conned by my boyfriend. He had lied about having cancer to cover up his opioid addiction, and I was pregnant with his child. And this was coming off the heels of my first husband having an affair with our neighbor and getting her pregnant. So this was not great news for me. At the time I found out I was pregnant and all that stuff about my boyfriend, my divorce was not final yet from my husband. But I mean, even that was bad, being in that situation bad, but it got even worse. So let me kind of lay out the timeline for you. So December 2006, I confronted my then boyfriend about his drug addiction. He admitted it and said he would quit and he wanted to do it on his own. And we probably all know how that works out for people who are deep in their addiction. And he was clean for a few weeks, I think it was, which coincidentally is when I became pregnant during that window that he was clean. January 2007, just about a month later, he was using again. We had just found out I was pregnant. We found out on December 28th. I'll never forget it. Just three days after Christmas. We had just found out I was pregnant. And in sheer desperation, I called his family and told them everything. I called one particular family member and told her everything. She asked me to get him home and that they would have an intervention. So there's there's more details to this that are just like a holy shit story again. Wait for the memoir. It's coming. 
So the intervention took place, and then he agreed to go to rehab. And honestly, if I wasn't pregnant, I would not have been there. I would not have been at the intervention. I would have been like, okay, you lied to me about your drug addiction. You conned me out of all of this money. And then at that time when we had the intervention, I had just found out that he had lied about having cancer. So at that point, had I not been pregnant, I would have been like, adios, dude, I'm out. Like that would have really been my wake up call. But I was pregnant and I was still really kind of in this headspace of maybe we can work it out. I really hoped he would get clean and sober. I really had no idea about addiction and what it's like to be in a relationship with an addict. I didn't know anyone who had. And I just really did not know what I was walking into. So I was really just hoping and wishing he would get clean and sober and then we could have our baby and move away to Northern California and we would live happily ever after. So you all know where this is going, right? Okay, so he went to the Meadows in Arizona. Famous, The Meadows is famous for housing celebrities like Selena Gomez, Whitney Houston, and Kate Moss, and more recently, Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey. There were no celebrities when we were there, but there were some interesting characters, which I will write about. <laughs> so after my boyfriend had been there for a few weeks, I was invited for family week. So for those of you that don't know, typically at these rehab centers where someone is there for, for instance, like a 30-day in inpatient treatment center, the family gets invited. I think sometimes it's a weekend, sometimes it's several days. I guess it really depends on the the rehab center. So it was I think it was for like four or five days. I can't perfectly remember exactly what it is, but it was several days that we were invited to be there. I participated in group therapy with strangers, really, (laughs) and their families. The only person I knew there was my boyfriend. And it was uncomfortable. But to be honest, I was finally getting real with myself and I was looking at my own issues. I had never participated in something like that. I had gone to therapy for a while, but you know, obviously that's only that's one-on-one and I I really did my best to kind of just like do the bare minimum in therapy just to get me through and I was still kind of really in that place of blaming. It's like everybody else's fault. So this really was the first time I was doing the work and deciding like, okay, my life is fucked up. Like <laughs> I got to do something. So in those group meetings, I shared my shame stories. I cried in front of everybody, which was not something, not something at all (laughs) I like to do. And I was generally the most vulnerable I had ever been in front of a group of people. And as I left, you know, as time was up and I left, my boyfriend was acting I was acting weird, which was not that unusual for him. I was used to him having these like manic depressive episodes and just the up and down roller coaster that was our relationship and that was him. But there was something different about it. And when I got home, I hacked into his email, which at that point I had already caught my ex-husband cheating on me. I was pretty much an expert at sleuthing and being a detective. So I hacked into his email and found email after email from a woman named Debbie. And apparently, he and Debbie were in love. So who's Debbie? Debbie was another patient at the Meadows. Debbie was in our group 
while I was there crying my eyes out. I had shook this woman's hand. I had met her. I had chatted with her. Debbie had sent one email to my boyfriend. She had sent many, but and I was reading them all <laughs> about their love and them like basically reading them falling in love together, email after email. But this one was the kicker, the one that lowered me to a heap on the floor. And it said, is it bad that I think it's funny that your girlfriend is in our group? I mean, what were the chances that we would all be grouped together? Okay, so this woman was essentially laughing about the fact that we were together in a small group while we talked about our deepest, darkest secrets. Needless to say, the phone calls that followed were not pretty from me (laughs) to the rehab center. And oh my gosh, it's so incredibly frustrating because you can't just like call the rehab center place and like, you know, can I talk to Joe Addict? And they're like, sure, let me get him. You have to leave a message. You have to be on this. It just, it's infuriating. You you know, you can't text the person like I email, which I did. Oh, trust me, I did. But it was infuriating. And that really was my final straw with him. It wasn't the opioid addiction. It wasn't the lying about having cancer. It wasn't the fact that he had conned me out of thousands of dollars and lied about really everything. But it was Debbie. (laughs) She was my final fucking straw. And I wasn't at all, I want to be clear, I wasn't at all putting all of the blame on her. I knew that this was, was my boyfriend. I knew how he worked. Also, P.S., he had let me know. So this was after it all came out that they were having a relationship together, which, by the way, is totally against the rules there. And I phoned his main counselor, who was the woman who was leading our groups, and she got an earful from me about that because (laughs) apparently they weren't being watched very closely. So then I found out that he told me that she was paying for his aftercare because typically what happens when people are in inpatient treatment, they go to, um, I think some people go to a halfway house, some people go to, it's called aftercare. And it really, I think, depends on what the person needs. And so he needed kind of an like another, I guess it was kind of like a halfway house, but it had more counseling or something like that. At any rate, it was not cheap. And she he didn't want to go to the to the places oh god his family was like you need to go to a place that's all men because clearly like everybody knew what he was up to that had been his game for a long time so his family is like we'll pay for any rehab center that they recommend but it needs to be male run and only male only men there and he didn't want to do that And so he picked a place that he wanted to go to. And guess who paid for it? Guess who paid $15,000 for him to go? Thanks, Debbie. So he had basically conned her as well. So there was definitely a part of me that had some compassion for her that was like, oh, man, sister, (laughs) good luck with that. He's all yours. But I was so filled with rage that I had been vulnerable and I had gone to this place and given someone a second chance and was just so fucking humiliated. And I had just been humiliated 
not a year before because of what happened with my ex-husband. So I was <laughs> flames, flames, flames on the side of my face to quote the movie Clue. Anyway, so my point is that part of my motivation to change was her. I was so determined to be better than her, to actually do the work, knowing she had spent thousands of dollars on a fancy rehab and was not, in fact, doing her own work. That, coupled with the fact that I was pregnant and I knew I needed to get better for my child, I needed to change both for me and my child, as well as I wanted to give a giant fuck you to the people that had wronged me. I wanted to to really, you know that quote, uh, the best revenge is moving on with your life and being successful or something like that. That's what I was holding on to. And my whole point of this is, what is your motivation? Did you or do you have a Debbie in your life? Many people say, don't ever do it for anyone else but yourself. And while I agree that that's true, of course, I think there's something to be said about looking at what motivates you. Do you want to be a better mother for your kids? Do you want to show your mom that you will parent better than she did or differently than she did, I should say? Do you want to prove to your ex that you are not, in fact, crazy and that you are the best version of yourself? Hey, again, it's not about doing the work solely for someone else. It's about grabbing onto whatever motivates you Maybe you can use that as your catalyst. Maybe you use that as the thing that lights a fire under your ass. Eventually, that will fall away. You'll see the changes you're making and you'll keep going. I honestly now could give a shit about Debbie. My recovery and my personal development is for me and it's for my kids. I live my best life and work on myself first and foremost for me now. But I'd be lying if I didn't say in the beginning, there was a small part of me that wanted to prove others wrong. So that's that. Kind of crazy, right? Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about, quote unquote, having your shit together and your purpose as your path. So stay tuned for that. And also, on Friday, February 16th, early bird registration opens up for my new group program, Raise Hell is here. This program, you guys, I have been, I feel like it's been in the making. It's been in the womb since 2010 when I first started Your Kick-Ass Life. I'm going back to why I created Your Kick-Ass Life in the first place. We're going back to the foundational, fundamental basics of living your best life. This program is about values-based hell raising. It's about what you're tolerating in your life, how to say yes, how to say no, boundaries and hard conversations, as well as learning about what you need to let go of. I'm going to stop because I'm going to go on and on about it, but that is coming on Friday where I'm going to send you the info page and I cannot wait to begin this four-month journey with a group of amazing women. So stay tuned and until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 